I'm here today with an interview with Kathleen Cooper Luer. Um, she is a retired nurse, and uh, we've been friends for a while now, but I wanted to get her take on kind of the condition of the hospital system, given what's going on with the, uh, the coronavirus. And more than anything, I just kind of wanted to get a, a sense of uh, her take on hospitals and kind of what people should do to kind of protect themselves in uh, in this kind of an environment. So, Kathy, thanks for taking the time for uh, chatting. Oh, thank you for asking. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background? Um, I have been a nurse for um, since, uh, since 1975. And uh, throughout that time, I have worked most of the time in the operating room, um, but I have worked in um, home health and emergency room care and um, in nursing homes. Um, I uh, have seen, you know, uh, a lot of changes in the uh, in the bureaucracy of, of the medical field, and uh, and. That's about it. I, you know, I've, I've just been working kind of in the trenches for what forty-three years. No, and that's that's a good perspective. And I mean, I, I to me, that's really the that's really where it where it counts. So obviously, there's been a lot of consolidation going on within the hospital hospital industry and the medical industry. Like, how does how does consolidation affect? First, like the providing of medical services from like what what your perspective was in Wisconsin? Um, well, with consolidation comes uh, standardization. Um, they, you know, well, I, I live in, in, in rural Wisconsin, and we are expected to give care in the same way somebody like in the, in the cities in the, in the south of Wisconsin would give care, you know, if so, everything is an algorithm, you know, if, if so-and-so has, um, you know, high blood pressure, you know, um, and, and, and on and on, you know, the, the protocols for that. Um, and sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's okay as a guideline, but, um, it's, a lot of things in different geographical areas of Wisconsin, because it is so diverse, sometimes they're, it's, it, it's not providing the best care. Um, I know in the operating room for certain kinds of cases, you know, you had to give these meds, as opposed to the meds that the doctor had been giving, like, all of their life, um, or yeah. anesthesia, and, and that sort of thing. So. Um, the consolidation leads to trying to kind of oversimplify uh, people's care, um, and not in a good way. Mm. Um, it, it, it takes out the whole individual patient type of model that uh, medicine has uh, been for so long. Well, and I mean, the, the thing is with, obviously, with biology and with different people's reactions to different medicines or to different procedures... I mean, it seem mm-hmm. it seems like you have to really be more customer specific in terms of how you deliver medicine. So the the two run kind of cross purposes. 
well, the, the, the whole medical model these days is um, not customer-specific. It is corporation-specific, basically. Um, even your primary care physician um, in, very rarely knows you like the doctors used to. Um, and so they, you know, they're kind of forced to go by these algorithms because they, they have no idea um, about your, your life or um, why, why you may be sick or, or whatever, you know. Um, mm. And uh, with the pressure they're under to see as many patients as they can, it, you know, like it's not their fault. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this kind of brings me to kind of what I really wanted to, to get into, which is when you have something that's out of the ordinary, kind of get it injected into the medical environment, something like the coronavirus, which is currently, you know, we're in uh, mid-February at this point, and uh, last night there was... Uh, according to official records, uh, a thousand people had died from the coronavirus, and you know, obviously, a lot of cities have been shut down. Uh, there's a lot of um, policies in place, but the system's straining under that that kind of uh, situation in China. Like, what if something like the coronavirus were to come here? Like, what kind of? How would the medical um, system like hospitals react to something like that being injected? Um, I, uh, I, I, I do have a daughter also in the medical field, and I asked her yesterday, you know, what if they, if her particular institution had any plans for treating people with coronavirus, if it should come to that, um, and she said, well, they said that we should all wear masks and that um, it should be the end. There's different different kinds of masks to wear, you know, to shield yourself from disease and that keep you from transmitting disease to other people. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, in my opinion, the masks that you see everybody wearing on TV are, are, are not that effective. Mm. Um, to have an, an effective mask, you need one of those. It's called an N95 or a respirator. It's just heavier material um, covering your nose and mouth and, and it's pretty much almost like fitted to your face it comes in like small, medium and large or, and I don't know what other sizes but um, that is what uh, medical personnel wear when they're dealing with someone with tuberculosis for instance or, or some contagious disease and uh, so so my daughter told me yeah, they told all of us to you know wear the N95 mask. She says, but we don't have any at our facility. Oh my God! Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not kidding. You know, and uh, so and I don't know if that's the case. You know, it's I, I think you know like the medical um, you know the World Health Organization and all that has you know put out alerts before you about SARS and, and MERS and, and those kinds of uh, epidemics that never quite got bad here. So I think everything, everyone is kind of thinking, eh, you know, it's, it's kind of like crying wolf um, mm-hmm. again, you know. So I don't know if they're that, um, if, if they're being as robust as they could, you know, formulating plans. Um, I, I do know that when 
let, let's say you're a patient and you're sick and you want to make an appointment, um, uh, you, you pretty much go through a triage nurse who decides if you should come in or if you know, you'd be okay at home or, or whatever. So, so they, they would have a triage nurse determining the seriousness of your um, illness. Um, but um, I'm not quite sure that they have a plan yet. Mm-hmm. You know, at least um, my daughter lives uh, south in Appleton in a larger city, and, and she doesn't seem to have, she hasn't heard about any plan. <laughs> Wow. You know, like, like, like a robust plan, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, I mean, when you, when you look at, like, people who, let's say, somebody is feeling sick and, you know, there's, there's this type of environment, you know, normally people go to the doctors. But in some ways, if, you're, if you really have a serious outbreak going on, to me, that seems like um, more dangerous to kind of be exposing yourself to other people who are sick when you potentially may not be. I mean, am I am I wrong yeah, in that? Or no, no, you you're, you're absolutely right. Um, looking at the statistics on the on the current uh, coronavirus outbreak in, in China, um, whether they're accurate or not, hopefully they're kind of accurate, um, a third of the victims of coronavirus have been healthcare workers, uh, which means that um, they picked up the virus in the hospital. And so it's, it's, it's pretty common knowledge in, in the medical field that going to the hospital while, you know, like you if you need to go, you need to go. You know, if, if you yeah. are in a you know life-threatening situation or you're very sick, but there's also a pretty good chance that you might acquire an infection in the hospital. You know, it happens all the time. It's called nosocomial infections, and that's what a third, a full third of the victims of the coronavirus are is hospital-acquired infection. Yeah. Um, in spite of the fact that you know they've been wearing these, um, you know, these out, these outfits, these hazmat suits, practically, to take care of patients. So um, it sounds like it's highly contagious. Um, and um, so, and, and, and the coronavirus itself, it seems to, from what I've read, it seems to have, you know, like you come down with this illness and it feels like you're coming down with either the flu or a cold. You may or may not have a fever. You know, you, you have a cough, you have, you know, uh, congestion. And, um, and so the first week it, it pretty much mimics any kind of common cold or, or flu that you might get. The second week seems to be a kind of a turning point for it. Either you start to recover or you start to get worse. And, by the, and, and if you start to get worse by the third week, you really need some intervention from what I've read, mm. um, like ventilation, ventilators and things like that, yeah. um, or at least you know, oxygen supplementation. Because at that so, point, it really kind of takes on the dimensions of like pneumonia or other things that yes, really kind of yes. interrupt breathing. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and they're saying that the P53 
people who get bad are, you know, the elderly, the sick, and all that stuff. But I don't know. Uh, I'm just, you know, the the doctor who first sounded the alarm yeah. on coronavirus was only 34, yeah. and he died, yeah. you know. So we don't know what, we really don't know what to believe. Uh, and given that we, we, we don't know the full extent, you know, we could be getting, you know, the full extent from China, but... It would probably be the first time we ever got accurate information from any government. Mm. Um, and and given the fact that um, uh, hospital-acquired infection is so pretty rampant, um, unless you can, you know, kind of get in and get out, you know, uh, I, would, I, I would think if, if it was me and I got sick, I would... You know, if if you're comfortable with it, I would pretty much stay home and 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 not go to work, rest. You know, drink fluids because <laughs> there's there's really no drug to treat the the coronavirus. It's a it's a virus. You can't you can't you know cure it by antibiotics or anything. It just kind of has to run its course. So, mm. to me, if you have like early intervention, like staying home, resting, don't go to work, of course, you know, because you don't want to spread it. Um, and and just, just rest and uh, take care of yourself. Um, you have a much better chance of it not going south in the second week um, mm-hmm. than you would if you kind of, you know, ran yourself ragged and, um, you know, maybe went to the doctor and got another infection on top of it or, or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, because yeah. this is also flu season, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so I, I would probably advise to stay home until you get some pretty serious, um, pretty serious symptoms. And, and it kind of sounds like that's what they're doing in China. You know, you hear about these people getting turned away. Yeah. You know, well, if they can walk to the hospital, you know, they really don't need to be there yet. You know right. what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah. But then again, <clears throat> you have people then outside the realm of being monitored as to whether or not they're yeah. infecting other people, which then that becomes a concern about mm-hmm. how far it spreads. Or And the fact yeah. is, uh, I think I saw that for the first five days, you're in asymptomatic, so you don't show any symptoms, and you're contaminating mm-hmm. people who you're around, and, and you just don't know it. So Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what makes this kind of impossible to contain because, you know, it, when somebody gets the measles or the chicken packs, you know, you contain it. You see, you, you, you have symptoms, you know, but with, with this, um, it's contagious even before you have symptoms and, and that's why it's so, so dangerous and, and, and spreads so quickly. Hmm. I mean, are there any, um, are there any ways for people to kind of protect themselves in terms of behaviors or things that they can do other than obviously isolating themselves and working from home if you if if you're in a situation where the virus does come here and it does start having an impact obviously work from home but what else can you do mm-hmm. like are there do you, can you uh, I saw I know I, I saw somewhere that if you uh, wipe your hands with alcohol or hydrogen peroxide, that that that, that kills the virus. Um, 
Like, are there other things that you can do to kind of stave things off from the virus? Well, um, to sound very unscientific, yes. You know, you can take your health, take your health care back and uh, start um, building up your immune system. Um, You can, you know, eat fruits and vegetables, you know, maybe take supplements if uh, you feel a need to. Um, I would suggest vitamin D3 for immune system and vitamin C and uh, maybe even something like elderberry, which is an immune booster, or astralagus, which is also an immune booster, which is an herbal uh, remedy. Um, You know, trying to um, achieve a state, you know, as as close to a state of optimum health as you possibly can. like I said, by, by pretty much taking care of yourself, like, like taking taking your health back, you know, uh, taking the care of your body back from, you know, the healthcare system who, you know, uh, may or may not do a good job with it and, and taking it over, um, getting exercise, um, like I said, eating right, uh, whole foods type of diet, um, mm-hmm. preferably plant-based so you can get a... a a lot of the antioxidant nutrients that way, um, that sort of thing. I mean, that is your, that's ground zero. That is the best thing you can do to keep yourself from getting sick. Or if you do get sick, um, recovering uh, well, you know, recovering faster and with uh, much fewer complications. Um, As far as prevention, if you are around people who are sick, the, the best thing you can do is, if you have to be in a situation where, where you're with a sick person, you know, such as a healthcare worker, you know, wear a mask, um, preferably that N95 respirator. Um, uh, wash your hands, and um, the all of pretty much all of the um, commercial hand sanitizers are pretty good um, in, um, in, in, in killing viruses. Um, and, you know, regular hand washing, you know, with soap and water. Mm-hmm. And the, not only the, and it doesn't really have to be antibacterial. I mean, it can be antibacterial if you um, want that added assurance. But in washing your hands, for a long enough period of time. You can't just, you know, like do a couple quick swipes and you're done. Um, they say to um, to sing happy birthday to yourself as you wash your hands. When you're done mm. singing happy birthday, then you're done washing your hands. Because it's the friction. It's the friction and the, the suds that clean your hands. Gotcha. Um, and make sure you get your fingernails and all that. Mm. Um, and... Uh, if uh, it, it, if you're sick, you know, you know, don't cough into your hands. Cough into your elbow. You know, put your elbow up over your mouth. Cough mm-hmm. into your elbow if you don't have a mask on. Uh, just just those kind of common sense things, you know. But um, if you can avoid contact with sick people, of course, you know, like if you're going to go someplace and you find out somebody over there is sick, you know, it might be a good idea to stay home. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because. Um you know, as you, as I walk around now, 
I find myself being more aware of people who are sick around me. I walked into the uh, wine store yesterday, and um, the guy at the counter was was sneezing. He sneezed in the space of uh, like a couple of minutes. He sneezed like three or four times. And I'm like, oh boy. And uh, you know, not to be not to be like hysterical, but I'm like, I'm like, a is he. Is he coughing or sneezing away from me? So do I like I have to be aware of where he's sneezing? Like, how do I do the transaction without him touching anything that I'm going to touch? And so, it as a thought process, it became it was interesting to to figure that out, but to realize like going forward, like we just have to we have to protect ourselves and we have to do so in a more aware way than maybe we did before. Yeah. Well, you, you, you basically have to be proactive about your own health. And uh, the situation you described is like every time a nurse ever goes anywhere, that's what she thinks about. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whenever I go out anywhere, the minute I come home, sometimes before I even take my coat off, I'm in the bathroom washing my hands, and if I have a water bottle, I'm washing the outside of that, too. I mean, it's just kind of common sense. You don't know what kind of bugs you run into out there, and of course, working in the operating room in a sterile environment kind of um, warps your thinking a little bit uh, also, but only kind of in a good way for, for this sort of thing. Hmm. Oops. So, yeah, it's, it's good to be proactive Going back to yeah yeah well going back to the to the eating part this goes back to you know kind of this continuous uh, discussion over the past year about you know getting more away from processed foods and away from meats and into like you said uh, the whole foods type of diet that focuses on you know plant based and and grains and so forth and and fruits and vegetables. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that to me is the best, uh, the best proactive stance that a person can make um, in avoiding illness and uh, having a much better quality of life. Um, if you're a little bit, you know, skeptical about, um, you know, plant-based type of food or types of food, uh, a good person to start like researching would be a, a uh, journalist named Michael Pollan, mm. and he talk he talks about 
Um, he, he's, he still eats meat, but he doesn't eat it like he used to. Um, he wrote you know, like, the uh, Omnivore's Delight, didn't he? Yes, he did. And, uh, however, he said if the only thing you ever do to, to uh, enhance your diet and to become healthier is just never buy anything in a box or anything like that and make everything from scratch, doesn't matter if it's, um, if it's organic or anything else, if you just make it from scratch and stop getting processed foods and fast foods and that sort of thing, that'll be enough, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, you know, when, when you first start making foods from scratch, it's just kind of, um, seems very time consuming and, and, and like how, how can you keep that up and that sort of thing, but it, it, it's really pretty easy. I wonder why, you know, I've been, making whole foods for years and I, I wonder why people would even be, you know by the time you know you make a, a quick whole food meal as opposed to you know like a processed hamburger helper thing it takes about the same amount of time yeah. you know yeah. it's just that we're not used to doing it you know yeah well, I think in some ways you have to enjoy the uh, creativity that goes into it as well and that Absolutely. that, that might be something that people just aren't comfortable with because I mean I remember you know, I can remember back to middle school, you know, they used to have home ec classes where they actually taught, you know, boys how to cook. And, um, you know, that was obviously my first experience, but I would honestly say that my next experience in terms of cooking didn't come until I was in my mid-20s, you know, after college, you know, because everything was provided for in college at the cafeteria. But, um you know, if you don't kind of embrace that creativity and, you know, exploring putting different pieces together, you're really missing part of the experience and you're going to work yourself out of the healthy thing and into something that really is unhealthy, mm-hmm. which you're Absolutely. not helping yourself in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand what you're saying because, I mean, I was you know, I, I, I was never a big fast food freak, but I was a processed, you know, I ate a lot of processed foods uh, when I was younger, and uh, it, it was kind of a gradual process with me, you know, slowly letting go of um, some of the things that weren't good for me um, through, through years of, uh, of research and, and, and caring about what I ate and stuff, and I, I could never go back. Um, it, uh, it it is it is fun to cook. It is fun to uh, either try a different recipe or make up one of your own and, and that sort of stuff using all uh, you know fresh uh, ingredients and um, and it's delicious. Mm-hmm. You know you, you'd be surprised. I started making. I think probably the first thing I started making was was, was soups. You know um, different kinds of soups, especially um, uh, with legumes and, and things. And uh, one of my favorite before uh, I started all this meals was like grilled cheese and tomato soup. And I tried to eat grilled cheese and tomato soup after I'd been making my own soups for ages. I tried to eat tomato soup out of a can and it was awful. (laughs) I can't touch touch it anymore. It's terrible. Um, And, uh, you know, and the grilled cheese wasn't so hot either. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> one of the things that when we had talked before, um, we kind of went through this exercise of like if you were kind of in charge of things from a medical perspective, like what would you what would you recommend for hospitals to do to try to slow the spread of coronavirus? Like what would what would your take given kind of this current state of the hospital system, like what would be some strategies for institutions to kind of pursue? Um, I would probably uh, have some sort of communication with the public, you know, like if it should come, come here as bad as it is in China or even start look like it's going to get as bad as it is in China. I would um, strongly advise people to, um, if they feel like they're ill, to stay home unless they are, um, they're, you know, so if, unless they are severely ill, you know, like um, don't come to the hospital with the first symptoms because, I mean, you may be able to just ride it out and it turns out okay. Um, and then probably set up so, you know, so the public has to be informed um, on what to do. And um, if uh, you know the if, if they have, if they have any sort of way to communicate with patients in their homes, like a, a telecommunication thing, even like FaceTiming people or whatever, um, I would suggest that that's utilized rather than um, have people go to the hospital and either infect other people, you know, you think about like the drive to the hospital, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, who are you infecting along the way? Who are you infecting in the parking lot on the way in? Um, and to like, you know, how many people have masks at their house? And then you walk in the door with your germy hands and then you pick up a mask finally after laying your germs all over the door and all over the mask box and all that stuff, you know. Um, probably better if you just stay home, and mm -hmm. that way you you know you don't have to worry about getting infected with other people. However, you know there also has to be a protocol of if you have these symptoms, then make you know then come in, you know, yeah. or or then call a triage nurse yeah. who will um, who will you know make the decision you know. Uh, where you should go and, and, and what kind of a plan we should have from, from there on. Yeah, that idea of like a virtual triage center of experts for people to be able to to use and to kind of stay connected to the system, but to really kind of work remotely so they're not infecting themselves and infecting others, I think is really key. And... Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, I think it makes sense even now, given, you know, just other situations. You, like you said, it's flu season. It's, it just makes sense. So yeah. it's like, yeah, seems like it would well, be a time saver and a money it, saver. It, yeah, it can be as easy as just doing FaceTime, yeah. you know. Um, I know a lot of uh, the uh, medical facilities in our area, or a few of them, do have uh, remote visits already with people who are, you know, who are homebound. You know, they will, 
mm. visit the people, you know, uh, and, and be able to see them, uh, particularly if if, um, if it's been set up ahead of time where they have a, you know, like a machine to take your blood pressure and all that kind of thing at home, you know. Gotcha. So, so they do do a little bit of that already, um, but, um, you know, and, and probably part of the protocol would be, you know, if you are over... 65 or if you are under you know five or, or whatever whatever the danger ages are for this thing to uh um you know talk to your you know talk to some sort of a provider um pretty quickly yeah you know, because those are the people with, with the uh either immature or weakened immune systems and those are the ones who can go south very quickly hmm. one of the um one of the other recommendations I thought that um, I think that we had uh, talked about is the importance of like uh, community. Maybe I was thinking in my head. I, I honestly I don't remember, but mm-hmm. I I really think like this goes back to the importance of trying to you know as a society and as a culture we need to get back to kind of building a larger sense of community and kind of connecting to people around us that, you know, kind of modern society drives us to kind of work in isolation and live in isolation and do our own thing and keep our heads down. And in reality, we, by connecting to other people around us, you know, it it serves multiple, multiple benefits. And this could obviously be one in terms of, you know, keeping in touch with people and making sure that they're taken care of and yeah, yeah, well, you know, it, it, if, if the hospitals get overwhelmed, which they probably would, um, very early on, if, if the crisis, you know, it is as bad here as it is in China, um, it would be a very good idea to set up some sort of communication between you and your neighbors. Um, check up on them, um, you know, uh, make sure uh, they're okay. Uh, even, you know, if, if it should get really bad, um, set up like some person who, you know, kind of set up a hierarchy or some sort of a telephone tree or something, you know, to uh, make sure that everybody's taken care of, they have, you know, enough to to drink and they're well, or if they're sick, um, make sure that um, they have a a way to get some place to get some treatment if they need it, and and that sort of thing, you know, and like you said, we are so far away from that, um, that it would be a little, you know, kind of out of the ordinary for for this day and age, you know, even, you know, when I grew up in the, you know, 50s and 60s, it would have been more commonplace in a neighborhood for for something like that than it is now, much more, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat today and sharing your your expertise and your insights, and uh, definitely think it was really, really valuable to kind of put it all together and to help people kind of think outside the box, given kind of what's developing, and make sure that they protect themselves. Well, and, and, and what I said about, you know, being proactive about your health, I think in this in, in the times we live when it's so many people, you know, so many people either don't have insurance or they have expensive insurance that doesn't cover anything. Um, your best way to avoid 
some of the pitfalls of our healthcare system is to, you know, you know take care of yourself. Um, yeah. You know, eat, eat right, exercise, um, and uh, keep, keep a positive attitude. I, I, I saw a, uh, I, I uh, get this yogi tea and they have these little, like, fortunes on the tea bags, you know. And one of the things that always stuck with me, one of their things was, for good health, eat right, walk right, and talk to yourself right. And that's pretty much it in mm. a nutshell. Wow. You know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I always think of that. Uh, but, but that's it. You know, the whole secret of, of good health and, and, and good quality of life. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And, um, you know, we'll hopefully we don't have to talk again in the near future, at least about this topic, but, uh, you know, we'll see how things develop. Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, if I could, if I could say something else, you know, sure. the, the, the outbreak of, you know, the coronavirus in China, um, China, from what I understand, I've never been there, from what I understand, it's kind of a perfect storm for something, you know, you know, you know, like the SARS, uh, well, actually, SARS and, and that MERS are forms of coronavirus also, yeah. as well as, like, a, the common cold. So coronavirus has many mutations. And China, with their dense, dense population, um, you know, people kind you know, living in these small apartments, you know, kind of piled up on each other, and living in such close quarters, and the, the dense population of the cities... Um, and, and then they, and then uh, of course we've all heard of you know like the wet markets where you know where it supposedly originated um, with very little you know regulation or inspection of, of the animals and uh, animals getting slaughtered you know selling live animals to get slaughtered right there and um, it, it sounds like a perfect storm to get something like that. Yeah. Um, well, the other the I other aspect the, is that. Obviously, their environmental conditions are really degraded because of the Absolutely. pace of industrialization that they've gone through for the last 10, 15 mm-hmm. years. And so the water quality yeah. is bad and the mm-hmm. air quality is bad. So there you, yeah. you're you already ending up, you're, you're starting out with an immune system that's already been under siege for a number of yeah. years. And so that, that makes yeah, it doubly I, I, hard. I think the city dwellers out there uh, are, are compromised. You know, they're, they're, they're breathing in particulate matter that is damaging their lungs. So then they're getting this coronavirus, you know, this more virulent form of coronavirus on top of a weakened immune system and, and possibly damaged lungs from, from the pollution. So um, I, I've been kind of looking, but I haven't noticed any outbreaks kind of in, in the, the more rural areas of China, you know, where, you know, they probably get more fresh air, there's less pollution or, or whatever. Um, and, and also, you know, the concentration of, um, of people doesn't really lend to, you know, like a, a good supply of like fresh food and, and that sort of thing, except in these horrible markets, I guess. But, uh, you know, like, like the fresh food that you really need to eat, like the fruits and vegetables and that yeah. sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, the, the fact that, that China has a pandemic going on over there 
may not possibly translate to it becoming a pandemic over here, you know, even if we have a few cases. You know, I mean, we have, what, I think 10 cases in the United States now? I can't, I, I can't remember the, the, the last count. I think so, yeah. But okay. again, this is mid, so, mid-February, mid so... Yeah, but, but on the other hand, you know, there's so many people in the United States whose health is not that great because of um, their lifestyle. Yeah. That, you know... Um, that, and that's a huge factor also. Yeah, no doubt. And again, the information that's coming out, you know, um, you have official statistics and then you have, you know, other sources providing, you know, statistics that run counter to that. So you have to uh, kind of be aware of, you have to you have to do your own research to try to figure out what the truth mm-hmm. is and to stay informed and, you know, stay ahead and protect yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I know it's, a, a, it's an unprecedented situation in China, and I have never seen a response to a pandemic like I'm seeing coming from China, even what the government is telling us. Yeah. And if it's more than what they're telling us, then it's totally uh, a, a mind-blowing thing, you know? Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. All right, and on that uplifting note, I think we'll... Uh, <laughs> we'll yeah, uh, yeah, we'll really. end it. But, um, you know, like I said, the main main purpose here was to inform people and give them... You know, just uh, advice on how to take care of themselves. And I, ultimately, I think that's the most important aspect of this. And, um, you know, just think ahead. You know, don't be, mm-hmm. don't become a statistic. You know, yeah. just empower so you yourself. Which, if, if, if you started getting sick, what would your grandmother tell you to do? And then do that. There you go. There you go. All right, well, let's stay in touch, and we'll talk to each other soon. Okay, thanks, Jim. Thanks.